Good morning and welcome to this morning's show. Um, I've got to be honest, today's show is something I've been dreading for weeks now. And it's a show that in a fair and just world would be totally unnecessary. Unfortunately, it's not a fair and just world. It's a world in which the loss of four lives is apparently not something that requires the focus or timely resolution from the investigating authorities, which is why we're here seven years to the day since Mick Cummings, Ken Cresswell, Chris Huxtable and John Shaw perished when the boiler house at the Didcot A power station collapsed during its demolition. The 23rd of February is etched into the memory of everyone in the UK demolition business, which means I've had plenty of time to prepare for today's show. But I had absolutely no idea how I was going to begin. For a time, I considered mentioning the fact that I've been wearing this T-shirt on and off for the past seven years. If I had known that when I had it made, I may have taken slightly better care of it. I also thought I might start with a sentence or two to set the scene. I actually wrote this into my phone just a few days ago. The fact that four demolition men were killed at work in this day and age is a tragedy. The fact that three of them lay unrecovered for another seven months is a disgrace. The fact that the families of those four men still have no explanation or closure is nothing short of a scandal. And the fact that this has not triggered a public inquiry is utterly shameful. But I've set both of those ideas aside, partly because no one really gives a toss about the age of my T-shirt, and partly because describing the tragedy of Didcot as disgraceful and shameful is merely stating the obvious. We all know that. So before I go completely off script, here is what I finally settled upon. Yesterday morning, I received a message from a lady called Natalie Huxtable. Her brother, Chris was one of the men that perished at Didcot. Attached to that message was a short video compiled from a series of photographs of her big brother. In some of them, he's at work. In others, he's at home. In all of them, he's smiling. A mischievous grin. He looks like the sort of guy that would be fun to be around. What happened on this day seven years ago robbed Natalie of her brother. It robbed her of the support that a big brother is supposed to provide. It robbed her and her family of that smile. And regardless of what I say from here on in, nothing is as important as that. A faster recovery of their remains, a faster investigation, a changed demolition industry will not bring back Natalie's brother. It will not bring back Sadie's dad, Ken Cresswell. It won't bring back any of them. So while I'm sure that this show will spend quite a bit of time talking about the inaction of the police and of the health and safety executive, we must never lose sight of the fact that this is not a political football to be kicked around. We're talking here about the lives of four men, cut short in an instant. And we're talking about four families that will never be the same again after that day, February the 23rd, 2016. I sincerely hope that all of them are granted some peace and some closure very, very soon. I hope that Natalie Huxtable won't have to stay strong for too much longer. Right, that's the only bit that I've scripted because I wanted 
I wanted it to be right, but from here on in, I'm going to be shooting from the hip. But before we get to all of that, uh, I am going to put this up on the screen. Um, I've had this morning a statement from the National Federation of Demolition Contractors. And if you'll forgive me, I'm going to change glasses because I can't actually read that. Bear with me one second. Yeah, it reads, uh, NFD statement on the ongoing investigation into the Didcot power station incident. On the seven-year anniversary of the tragic collapse of the Didcot A power station, which claimed the lives of four demolition operatives, the NFDC has reached out to investigators to offer assistance. NFD CEO Howard Button has been in, in contact with senior officers at the Health and Safety Executive to offer support of the NFDC in investigations with the hope of exp expediting a conclusion. At the time... Uh, at this time, the HSE have advised that the police have primacy in the investigation. The National Federation of Demolition Contractors will continue to assist in the investigation uh, whenever called upon and reviews it, uh, renews its deepest condolences to those families affected. Our main concern at this time is closure for the families of the four men we tragically lost from the industry and for learnings to be published so we can uh, avoid any uh, more incidents like this happening in the future for the safety of everyone in demolition. And that is signed by um, Howard Button, uh, CEO of the NFDC. Um, there's a bit of me that, that wonders why it's taken seven years to offer that. But there's a bit of me that thinks, frankly, to have offered it any time other than today would have probably fallen on deaf ears. Um, nothing that, that I've said, nothing that politicians have said, nothing that anyone has said has moved the goalposts since uh, that fateful day. So before we get into the chat, let me um, let me throw this up. Um, I think that's we'll share that all. Uh, Gary Muirhead hitting the nail on the head there. Good morning, Mark. Good morning, gang. Um, did uh, did court for rest in peace, in peace. Kane Cresswell, Chris Huxtable, John Shaw, and Mick Collins. Rest in peace, lads. Well said, Gary. It, you know, it's a, a strange thing when you see those names together. They, it's been going on so long now that when I hear the name Ken Cresswell, my mind automatically goes to Chris Huxtable, John Shaw, Mick Collins. Um, I'm going to say good morning to uh, Catalin um, McElroo. I'm not entirely sure how you pronounce that. My apologies for that. Uh, Ken Hatcher says good morning. Um, Mick Saunders, morning, Mark. And all on this sad day. Same from Steve Williamson. Uh, Nick Drew, uh, Jim Turner, says, where I can get it to play, uh, morning and respect to the four lads that lost their lives at Didcot. Uh, God bless them. I'm not um, a religious person um, by any means, but, yeah, God bless them all. Um, Mark Whiting, morning, says Mark. Uh, Mick Saunders, I read the article in Construction News. I think what hit home was the comment by Howard Button saying we cannot make any advice to the industry until we get the reports from the HSC and police. I find this strange. Um, in depending upon my mood, I find it strange. Um, I also find it um, kind of necessary that the the NFDC's hands are largely tied through no fault of their own. Uh, I will say that. Um, they cannot be seen to be prejudicing any um, subsequent prosecution, and obviously, um, the company involved um, in the or the company involved in the incident was Coleman and Company, which is an NFDC member. And we have this bizarre situation in 
this country, and I don't suppose we're unique, but this bizarre situation where we cannot be seen to be prejudicing um, a potential prosecution. To my mind, the way that this should have happened, well, for, for a start, those the bodies of the three uh, men shouldn't have lain undiscovered for seven months. Um, so that's the starting point. Um, they should have been reunited with their families a whole lot quicker than that. Um, secondly, I think the health and safety executive, bearing in mind that there were other power stations coming down at the same time of a very similar nature, I think that the health and safety executive should, could and should have issued interim guidance. And I think having taken that interim guidance, I think um, the, the NFDC and the IDE could have then turned that interim guidance into further more technical guidance that they could have issued to their members. But from the moment that that boiler house came down and the health and safety executive threw a cordon around that site, um, the hands of the NFDC, the IDE, and everybody else were tied. Um, do I think we could have put more pressure on the HSC and Thames Valley Police? Yeah. Yeah, I do. Um, do I think that the politicians that were all over it on the day after it happened could have put more pressure on the HSE and the um, Thames Valley Police? Yeah, I do. Do I think there should have been a public inquiry by now? Yes, I do. But, you know, I am occasionally critical of the NFDC. In this instance, I think their hands are completely tied. Um, and I think that's it's a disgraceful situation all round. It's a disgraceful situation that the families have been put in, and it's it's an equally disgraceful situation that the, the NFDC has been put in. The thing that you have to bear in mind here about the NFDC, like them or loathe them, or whether you're between the two, ultimately Howard Button is sat in an office doing his level best to safeguard the demolition industry. And because of the inaction of the um, the HSE and the Thames Valley Police. He can't do that. Um, and, and Howard is... Howard is a... You cut Howard Button in half and it reads demolition through the core. Um, and to be sat in an office watching this unfold so slowly, knowing that... Um, but for the love of God, so, something could happen to somebody else. It wouldn't have been his fault by any means, but I'm sure there would be a feeling of could we have done more? Uh, and I don't think Howard could have done any more. Um, uh, Eric Hill says, uh, good morning, Eric, by the way. Uh, still no answers yet. I, I just, I don't, I've mentioned this before. Um, we, we actually have precedent with this. Um, a couple of years ago, we had a boiler house collapse over in Ohio in America. Um, two men were killed. They were buried. It took about four weeks to recover their bodies, not seven months. Um, and that that basically turned into a prosecution uh, and a court case that lasted for less than 18 months. The whole thing was resolved. Um, blame was appointed. Fines were levied. The whole thing was done and dusted within 18 months. We took seven months to recover three of those bodies, and we are now seven years in, and we're still talking about it absolute disgrace and let's not forget that this is the health and safety executive and the Thames Valley Police that we're talking about here if you are stopped for speeding by the Thames Valley Police they will levy a fine and you will be expected to pay that in a timely fashion if you are visited by the health and safety executive and they find something um, 
not quite right on your site, they can issue a prohibition notice and you are given a limited amount of time in which to rectify that situation or they will come down on you like a ton of bricks. Doesn't cut both ways. Doesn't cut both ways at all. Um, bearing in mind that both of those organisations, Thames Valley Police and the Health and Safety Executive, are publicly funded and they basically work for us. They work for Natalie Huxtable. They work for Sadie Cresswell. They work for the families of the four men that perished. And they've let them down. And they continue to let them down. Um, Mick Saunders says, I think it was a young Sadie Cresswell said, we are only demolition workers. What sad words, but so true. So yes, she did say that. And um, just to put that in, in context, the way she was saying that is, I think, um, I think it was a, a case of if it had been another profession, maybe the outcome on and the situation would have been different. Um, and I was thinking about this last night, and I'll be the first to admit I am not even remotely royalist in my views. Um, but somebody threw an egg at um, Prince Charles, who is now King Charles III, and he was up before the beak within hours and prosecuted successfully. What's the difference? Tell you the difference, working men. Think about the others that are outstanding or have been outstanding for a prolonged period of time. Um, all those that were killed at Hillsborough, by and large, working class people, years, decades it took to resolve that. Grenfell Tower, working class people, ongoing. Didcot, working class people, ongoing. Um, um, going to mention this one very quickly uh, Eric, no mention of me uh, the only uh, one with lasting effects, uh, my legs are still bad yeah I, I, I don't know Eric uh, but I'm assuming Eric was there on the day um, and, and I, I I do wonder about how not just um, physically, although physically is, is obviously a key concern but I do wonder how um, some of these guys were um, looked after in terms of counselling. If you think about the effect that this has had, you know, imagine witnessing this, for one thing. Imagine that one of those guys was one of your friends that you'd known for a long time, um, and you've witnessed that happening. That's something that's not going to be, that's not going to go away. And as Eric has just said, bad PTSD. I'm not surprised. I'm not even remotely surprised by that. Um, it, it, bizarrely, it's when I was building up to the show, it did occur to me that I am not even remotely equipped to be doing this. Um, I write about diggers and demolition. That's all I do. Um, I'm not. I'm an emotional robot most of the time. Don't get too sucked into emotions and stuff. Um, so I'm probably the wrong person to be presenting the show right now. Um, but I would say the same about demolition men. Demolition men, are they are paid to be there to do a job of work, to take down a building or a structure. They are not there to um, bear witness to a tragedy of that nature. They're not there to um, lose their loved ones and their best friends and, and so on down the line. Um, I think we're all under-equipped at times like this. Um, so, Eric, listen, my, uh, my friend, my very best wishes to you. Um, I hope I hope you're getting some help, basically. 
Ken Hatcher says it crazy. It should have been sorted in six months. Unfortunately, it uh, lost. Uh, unfortunately, to last till now, lots of evidence probably lost. I I don't suppose there's evidence lost. There was a, a an evidence gathering um, program that went on forever. Um, last I heard, an awful lot of that. Um, Evidence was tucked away in a laboratory up in Buxton in Derbyshire. Quite why it's in Buxton in Derbyshire, I have no idea. Um, but it is, um, and it's being poured over. But one of the things that's occurred to me with this is how how many resources are being thrown at this? Is there a team, you know, uh, we've all seen episodes of Silent Witness, I'm sure, are there teams of four or five experts pouring over bits of evidence day in, day out, five and six and possibly even seven days a week, trying to find the, you know, the the magic bullet, the silver bullet that actually led to that fatal um, collapse? Are they doing that? Or is it something that somebody picks up every once in a while, looks at it, then puts it back in the cupboard and moves on and does something else? How much? Um, how much is actually being put into this? Uh, let's have a look. Mick Saunders says, uh, "All missed, but uh, never will be forgotten in my mind or heart." No, and whenever you talk about demolition, or whenever I talk about demolition, if somebody from outside the industry ever asks me, "What is the best thing about demolition?" Yeah, it's big diggers and it's explosions and it's um, it's down and dirty and, and it, it's got all of those things going for it but the biggest thing that demolition has going for it is camaraderie um and I, it's i've said it before and i'll say it again it's a camaraderie the likes of which you only ever generally see in the armed forces and i think there is a there is a comparison there i think i think in the armed forces your very existence and your survival hinges upon the person to your left and the person to your right and the person in front and the person behind demolition is exactly the same i think if you work alongside people in what is a notoriously hazardous industry you are reliant upon um, your fellow workers for your very existence or your very survival and i think if that's the case it forges not just a a, a friendship but a bond um, and to have that bond shattered in the way that it was on that day um i i just think it, it's echoed around the world and I, i'm going to come up there's there's something i want to put on the screen in a second um but I, I i've often referred to and i'm not the first i didn't invent the expression i've often referred to this industry as the demolition brotherhood um and i realize that's probably a non-pc um phrase but there is a demolition brotherhood and what I find remarkable is, you know, I get to travel. I'll be in the States in a couple of weeks' time. And I guarantee that at some point somebody will ask me about Didcot, because they always do. I've been asked about it um, in Japan, in America, right across Europe, because the rest of the world is is watching. They're watching, I think, as a learning, potential learning exercise, uh, because they would want to avoid a similar fate themselves. But I also think that that, that brotherhood i don't think anybody understands the loss of didcot in quite the same way as that demolition brotherhood does um 
I, Natalie, I don't know what to say. I, I don't know what to say. I mean, I, I really do appreciate you being here. I'm sure this is a a terrible, terrible day for you. Um, well, I, I spoke to you on um, social media the other day, um, and I I said at the time how I admire the um, patience and probably more than anything else, the dignity that the families have shown. And And without saying too much natalie obviously has been through her struggles over the past seven years and the very person that she would have preferred to have turned to is the very person that isn't there um I, it's a bizarre comparison to draw i realize um regular viewers will know i lost both my parents last year not going to dwell on that it's not not, not the time nor the place but I do remember being at my mum's funeral and looking around and there was lots of her family, cousins, she was a pretty extended family. And although nobody actually enjoys a funeral, if there was one person that would have really enjoyed that funeral, it was the very person that we were there to say goodbye to. Um, I, I realise it's stating the obvious. Everybody that she knew and loved was there to see her off and everything else. And I'm sure Natalie is in the same boat. You know, the very the very person that she would talk to when times are hard and when this anniversary rolls around, and the the you know that feeling of of sadness descends upon her and her family. The very person that she would want most want to talk to is the very person that isn't there. Um, I I. As I said, I'm not the person for this job. Natalie, all I can hope is that, that you get some sort of resolution um, at some point soon. It seems trite to say it. Seven years on, expecting a, a, a speedy resolution. And as far as I'm aware, um, I've not actually seen, I, I, I must admit, I've been concentrating on this. But around about this time, um, Thames Valley Police usually, at this time of year, issue a, a statement saying that the investigation is ongoing and we're in contact with the families and so on. I haven't even seen that this time. Um, and I'll say again, on the day after um, Didcot happened, I was, I was on site, I was there with Sky TV, with BBC, with ITV. And over the years, the number of TV and radio and newspaper interviews that I've been asked to do has dwindled and dwindled and dwindled. Last year, I think I did four. This year, I've done none. Outside of these circles, outside of the families of the four men, outside of the demolition industry, I fear that this has been forgotten. Um, do I think that's a deliberate ploy on the behalf of Thames Valley Police and Health and Safety Executive? Not really. Um but I do think they have lost lost sight of the very reason they're doing what they're doing. No, listen, I would like nothing more than to have some sort of um, lesson from Didcot to be sent through the demolition industry by Howard Button and the team at the NFDC. Um, but the most important thing is giving those families some peace, some closure, and some sort of explanation as to why their loved ones walked through the gates on that day and were carried out seven months later. Steve Williamson says, seven months, that is shocking. My God, I couldn't imagine how their loved ones felt. I still can't. I still can't. And 
I like to think I have a bit of a mastery over the English language, particularly when it's written down. But the only one I can draw a comparison here is this. If those four men had perished in a submarine at the bottom of the ocean and it took seven months to recover them, I'd probably go, well, you know, bottom of the ocean. If they had died during a journey to the moon and they perished on the moon and it took seven months to recover them, you'd say, it is the moon and it, it does take a while to get there and there's a lot of planning and everything else. This was in Didcot. This was in a, a, a town with its own railway line and everything else. This was in a British town, seven months to recover those bodies. And bearing in mind the technology that we have at our disposal, um, drones and that kind of thing, could we not have done better? Was it really necessary to implode the remaining half of that boiler house while those bodies still lay there unrecovered? Was it? Um, let's have a look. I remember sitting here last year and years um, previously ho hoping and praying that we wouldn't be at this point, but here we are seven years on and still no outcome. Yeah. I... I in the nicest possible way, I would like to think that at some point what I do would stop briefly um, on the 23rd of February to mark the memory of the four guys, but to know full well that I didn't need to do this kind of thing, that Howard didn't need to issue statements on behalf of the NFDC because the whole thing was over. It will never be over for the families, but the whole investigation... Any subsequent prosecutions would be done and dusted, and we would then not have to talk about any shortcomings in the legal process or the investigation process. We would just be left to talk about purely the, the memory of the four guys. I don't feel like that's any nearer today. Um, I don't feel like we are, from everything I've heard, I don't believe that we are any closer at all to getting that sort of resolution. Uh, what stuck in my mind, says Gary Muirhead, was one of the family members saying, Didcot is our graveyard. Yeah. And and what makes it worse? I, I, I've told everyone that watches this show on a regular basis. Um, I was there the day after Didcot. Um, the Didcot disaster happened at the behest of a couple of TV stations. I have been there. I went there five years on the trot. Um, and the last time I went there, which was year before last, I think, um, the place was unrecognisable. Obviously, the demolition is done and dusted, but the, the place has changed so very much that I actually got lost, despite the fact that I'd been there probably seven, eight, nine, maybe even ten times by then. Knew it like the back of my hand, but the road layout has changed. Um, and where there used to be an entrance, there's no longer an entrance, and so on down the line. Um, and that's not the way you treat a graveyard, is it? Why is there no lasting memorial to um, to Mick, to Ken, to Chris and to Ken? Why isn't there? They deserved it. Um, Peter had a... Uh, Mark, it's just crazy it's taking this long. Yeah. Um, and this, I think, is... I think this is indicative of what I was saying earlier um, about the demolition industry being um, 
the, the bond within. Mick Saunders, who is as, what's the expression? As rough as a butcher's dog. Um, rough, tough, calls a spade a spade. Natalie, hold your head up high. We will get to the bottom of this. Peter Haddock says, Natalie, the, fa the Haddock family send you and yours a big hug. That's that's the demolition industry that I know. Um, Mick Saunders says, was working for John, uh, John John Hanley at the time. I told him I was attending John's funeral. Uh, Hanley was a sod, but insisted he went um, half with the wreath. Hanley still was my, has my total respect for that. Yeah, there, there you are. That's that's the demolition industry that I know. Um, um, there we go. Eric Hill. That day changed my life and all the families. Very sad day for us all. Yeah, absolutely, Eric. Um, and I, I, I don't even know why I'm attempting to prioritise. Um, grief here obviously you think about Natalie and Sadie and the other family members I mean think about Sadie from everything that I know about her and, and I've seen on social media her dad was her absolute idol um, she got married a year or two after her dad died so her dad didn't get to walk her down the aisle as a, as a father myself with a couple of daughters that surely is one of the highlights that you must look forward to. And both Ken and Sadie were robbed of that. Um, as I say, I'm, I'm not trying to prioritise grief here. But think about Eric. How many people were working on that site the day that happened? Um, from everything that I've been told, there was a, a real flurry of activity as um, their fellow workers attempted to get into the wreckage to try and drag out anybody that was injured or or even killed before they were stopped from doing so. Um, imagine the effect on them. Imagine. Even the local people. I've told this story many, many times, but I, I think it's I think it's worth reiterating. When I was there the day after the Didcot disaster happened. There was a police cordon at the top of what used to be the entrance to the power station. There's a there's a little roundabout there. There's a road goes off into sort of farmland, and there's one that goes off to or used to go off to the left towards the Didcot power station. And there were two police officers stood at the at the top of that road, um, basically stopping traffic from going into the site. But bearing in mind this is February the twenty third, as somebody that has a birthday in February, it is by far the coldest month in the year. Um, it was freezing. I remember when I I had to be on site for about half past six in the morning um, with Sky TV, and both the Sky TV cameraman and the interviewer that I was speaking to literally had <laughs> snot coming out of their nose because it was so cold. Both of them were in big hats and scarves. I was exactly the same. It was bitterly, bitterly cold. I had a quick chat with the um, two police officers between radio and TV interviews. And while I was talking to them, a, a lady came up from nearby. And and I I can think of no other way of describing it because it, it really, it's exactly how it struck me at the time. She looked like an extra from um, Miss Markle or uh, Midsummer Murders. Proper 
English in every single way. And on her on her arm, she had a wicker basket. In that wicker basket, there was a flask of coffee and a, a couple of packs of sandwiches, which she handed to the two police officers. Um, didn't even stay around to get her flask back. Didn't stick around to be thanked for you know, her act of kindness. Just handed it over, turned around and walked back the way she came. So going back to that prioritization of grief, there were people there on that day, local people who saw that um, and who literally did their best to help. That that, that I saw that one firsthand, um, but my understanding is that was going on. I mean, the, 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 the first attempts at recovery and stuff went on for days, and my understanding is that the local people around Didcot were doing that the entire time. Um, which kind of restores your faith in humanity to a degree. Uh, let's have a look. A long one here from um, Steve Williamson. My idol is my granddad. He died 12 years ago and loved diggers the same as me. The one thing I always think about when I have a cry on random days because I wish he could see me now. He'd be so proud and I miss him every day. When I travel around the world driving diggers, he would be one, the one that would be there with me every step of the day and would be absolutely overwhelmed with everything. Um. I can, I can totally see that. Um, I I had, I had two fa- uh, grandfathers. Don't have any of them uh, anymore. Um, but my grandfather on my mum's side, Fred, which is why my son is called Fred, just in passing. He was my biggest fan. Um, when I, this is a, a an odd story, and I, I don't don't believe I've ever told this one before. Where my um, granddad, Fred, lived, um, he lived a couple of doors away from um, the father of Alan Minter, if anyone remembers the boxer, Alan Minter, um, who was world champion, I think, for a while until um, Marvin Hagler beat him to a bloody pulp. But So they, they, they used to go to an old people's meeting, um, you know, have a cup of tea and a couple of biscuits and a chat about whatever was going on in the world. And Alan Minter's dad was very full of the fact that, you know, my, my son's done this and my son's done that and everything else. And my granddad, Fred's answer to that was to show him copies of the old magazine contract journal with my name in print. Nobody would have been more proud of anything that I've done in my career than my granddad, Fred, but he, he, he never got to see, Never got to see a lot of that. Never. He met my wife before she was my wife, uh, but never got to meet my grandchildren because he was long gone by then. Um, and yes, you're absolutely right. And think, you know, maybe one day I don't know. I don't know their situation at the moment, but maybe one day I don't know. If she she may already have children. Um, Natalie, I don't know if you've got children, but if you haven't, it, one day maybe you will. And the way in which they will have a relationship with your father will be only through explanation. Same with Sadie Crestwell as well. Mick Saunders says, at the end of the day, Mark, you have not let this drop. The mainstream media may give it a, a mention, but you are never, you alone never duck it when I or others mention the four. Thank you, mate. Um, no thanks necessary. Uh, it's a, wasn't, I don't think anybody looks for this kind of thing, um, but it has become, kind of the defining thing in my career you know I, I i do what i do i've been doing it for 33 years and then seven years ago 
this landed squarely in my lap. Um, and to a lot of people out there, bizarrely, that is kind of the thing that I'm known for. Um, I, I'm, not, I'm, I'm known in certain circles for a good deal of other things, but that is the one that, that I'm, I'm probably best known for. Um, I wish it wasn't. I wish it hadn't landed in my lap. I wish I'd never actually heard of the um, Didcot A power station. Um, wish I'd never set foot on it. Wish it had never been built. Wish it had never collapsed. But you you play with the cards that you dealt, don't you? And and t- to my mind, I'm not I'm not making out I'm some kind of half-assed revolutionary here. But I do think that the memory of the four guys and of their families has been forgotten. Um, and has been allowed to be forgotten as well. Um, just as a very quick aside, we've, I've got a guest on tomorrow's show, and we're talking about the mental health crisis. And one of the questions I've got in mind for our guest is when you look at the situation today, we have um, teachers, nurses, uh, rail workers, and postal workers going out on strike. Um I guess in my heart of hearts, I support them all to varying degrees, particularly the nurses, I have to say. But what we're talking about primarily there is money. Now, I realise we all need money to survive and to feed ourselves and clothe ourselves and everything else, but we're talking about money. All, all, all we're talking about is money. That is enough to make nurses, rail workers, postal workers and teachers go out on strike to abandon the job and the career that they chose to go out on strike, to take to the streets, to protest at how they are being treated. Why haven't we done that? Why haven't we done that over Didcot? Why haven't we done that over the fact that 500 plus um, demolition and construction workers commit suicide each year? Compare that. Compare that for a second. The rail workers want a bit more money. They will bring the, the nation to its to a standstill. We are losing 500-plus men per year to suicide, and we all just get up every morning and go about our daily business. Is there something wrong with us? Do, you know, do, we, do we lack a, lack a union? Do we lack an organisation? Do we just lack the wherewithal? Why are we different? Surely, surely the death of four men in service, four working men, is enough to make the industry say, stop. Ne- never mind, you know, our thoughts are with the families, but the investigation is ongoing. That's not good enough. It's nowhere near good enough. Never has been. It was, it was bad enough when the second anniversary rolled around. And it's just got progressively worse with each passing year. And where where does it stop? I, as part of my uh, interview with Sky TV on the day after the incident happened, there'd, there'd actually been a report that suggested that a fatality was taking the health and safety executive around about four years to investigate. And I actually said, if if anybody would care to go and look back, I've never bothered, but if anyone would like to go back and have a look, if you can find it in the archives, I am on camera saying um, I do not expect any resolution much before about 2020. So I was prepared. 
I was prepared for 2020. It is now 2023, and we're no closer. And I, I'm, I'm genuinely, I'm now starting to wonder if this will be resolved in a decade. Because no, I have seen nothing. Now, bearing in mind, bearing in mind what I do for a living, I've I've spoken to people that were there, countless people that were there on the day. I've spoken to people that have been called as expert witnesses. I've been called. I've spoken to people that were were called as witnesses. All manner of of things here. Um, Uh, sorry, I, I I lost my train of thought there. Um, I don't even know where I was going with that. I'll come back. Um, the Keswick Bride here in Inverness is closed at least once a week for something you just don't want to hear. I don't know what the Keswick Bride is, um, Steve, but... Uh, bad PTSD, my legs still in pain, not one phone call for, or, or message from Coleman's. We need answers. Uh, uh, rest in peace, my friends. Uh, ah, okay. Uh, it's the Keswick Bridge. Uh, I Okay, I'm putting two and two together here. Um, the Keswick Bridge here in Inverness is closed at least once a week. I'm guessing we're talking um, suicides. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I listen, I wanted to... Up until a few years ago, the plan was to move my entire family down to um, Eastbourne, not that far from Beachy Head. Beachy Head's exactly the same. Don't want to get too far sidetracked because we'll be talking about mental health and stuff on tomorrow's show. But yeah, but, uh, I was saying, you know, this could drag on for a decade. And and think about that, you know. Let's 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 just please. Everybody accept the fact that my, my deepest condolences are with the families. But even setting them aside. Lesson number one in live streaming, don't hit the microphone with your hand. Um, think about that from a wider perspective. I don't know how many of the fossil-fueled power stations were still standing when Didcot collapsed. But there was probably half a dozen, maybe even a dozen, that had to come down um, using what was presumably accepted methodologies. Um, Coleman and company have carried out their own audit at Didcot and believe that they have discovered something that they believe was a contributory uh, factor in the collapse at Didcot, but they are not allowed to share it just in case they prejudice any subsequent court case. So here in the UK, there was possibly another six, possibly 10, possibly even 20 more power stations, similar not identical, but similar, that could have been taken down more safely had the HSE and the Thames Valley Police pulled their finger out and issued some kind of interim findings. If that had happened, if there had been a collapse, and bearing in mind we still got a couple more to come down, if there had been a collapse of a boiler house and somebody else had been killed, who would be responsible for that? Would that be the client? Probably not. Would it be the demolition contractor? Probably. Would it be the health and safety executive or Thames Valley Police who failed to disclose the fact that there was a fundamental flaw in accepted methodology? Not a chance. Not a chance. And going back to Howard Button, 
Imagine how he feels for that. He knows he knows Coleman and company. He he may have even seen I, I don't suppose he has, but I, he may have seen you know this audit that um, Coleman and company have, have carried out. He would like nothing more than to issue that as a warning to his members um, here and overseas as well. Because the NFTC is still seen as, as a world leader in the field of demolition. And there are close on a thousand fossil fuel power stations to come down around the world. The demolition world is watching for that to to know that they can go and do their job safely uh, and and possibly to avoid something that, that has been un- uncovered at Tidcot. And we're not able to provide that. Instead, we are following legal process that is just dragging on and on and on. And with each passing day, we are sending hundreds, possibly even thousands of demolition men and women to work each day, demolishing power stations using what is potentially a flawed methodology. And that situation has arisen through the inaction of Thames Valley Police and the Health and Safety Executive. Make no bones about it. It it absolutely has. Um, I think they've treated the families of the four men with disregard. I think they've treated the demolition industry with equal disregard. Um, I think they have failed at every single turn. I think they have let down the four men, the four families, and the industry. And they are continuing to do so to this very day. Mick says, I knew John and met Mick, Ken and Chris through him. I'm looking at you and can see what I feel at the moment. As hard as I make out to be, uh, I have just just let a few tears come out remembering them. Should I tell you something? And this is... It's a weird admission. Um, and I don't know why it's a weird admission, because I've I've spoken fairly openly um, about my own mental health challenges over the years. Um, I've actually got a hanky tucked under the desk, just in case, um, because I I think with it, up until this year, Listen, I've lost I've lost my best friend in a motorcycle accident. Um, I lost a very dear friend of mine some years ago. I've lost grandparents and, and so on down the line. Obviously, nothing like that compares to the loss of your parents. So the loss of my parents is still pretty fresh. Uh, it's literally a few weeks ago was the first anniversary of my mum's funeral um, and all that, that, that led on for that. So all of that is still very raw. And I actually thought, you know, despite the fact that I, I consider myself to be a bit of a robot when it comes to emotions, I've actually got a, I've got a hanky stood close by just in case uh, it did spill over. And when you think about the way the demolition industry works, Mick will back me up on this. Eric will back me up on this. You you cross paths with lots of people. You might be working on a job with. John or Ken or Mick or Chris one week, you might not see them again for six months because they went in one direction and you went in another and maybe your paths will cross on another project a bit further down the line. And that's the way this industry interweaves. So although we're we're currently thinking about, you know, our 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 grief and our thoughts are focused on what was Didcot Power Station, there are people that were directly affected by that day and by that tragedy up and down the country now. 
Steve Williamson is up in Scotland. There's every likelihood that, that somebody that was on that site on the day that happened is working up in Scotland now. Ken Hatter is down in Wales. There's every possibility that somebody from Wales was in, impacted in some way. This is spread right the way throughout the industry. Um, Steve Williamson says, um, look at uh, Chernobyl, the guy that stood up in court, got penalised for telling them it was their fault uh, on the fault of the shutdown button that uh, raised the temperature for a few seconds before it shut down and it caused the explosion. If it wasn't for him, the other power stations would have uh, never been rectified if it wasn't for him, uh, but got penalised for telling the truth. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yes, and as, as Eric just said, demolition is one big circle, and I always think that's one of the reasons that you, you, you kind of need to be as decent and as nice as you can because it is wheels within wheels. You know, the person you have an argument with today could end up being your boss six months down the line. Um, this show is a lot like therapy for a lot of us. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Maybe. And listen, I, I, as I say, I know we're, we're going to be talking about mental health because um, my mate Andy Stevens was up at Parliament there yesterday talking about, I'm talking to the government about the um, ongoing mental health crisis here in the uh, demolition and construction business. So we're going to get on to that. But maybe that's that's something that we do occasionally need to do. Um, you know, we, we, we talk about, I did grief counselling after I lost my best mate um didn't work for me if i'm being completely honest it was a it was a bit like an aa meeting um and you know sat in a circle and, and everybody went round and i i knew it wasn't for me when this was a, a, a this was a, a counseling session not specifically grief counseling it was a counseling se session and the first lady that stood up and i'm you know Bless her cotton socks. I'm sure she's a lovely lady, but she stood up and she said, um, I'm really struggling at the moment. Um, I'm a single mum, have to get my child to school. And when I get to work, sometimes I'm a bit late because I got stuck in traffic. And I feel that the um, my colleagues and my boss are belittling me and undermining me. And it's causing me a lot of anxiety. I remember sat, being sat there thinking, I've just, lost my best mate in a motorcycle accident um, that was bad enough for me not to want to see him in his coffin. Um, and I was just struck by the feeling that that lady and myself were going through two very different things. Um, that All that being said, my, my sister has been through grief counselling um, after the loss of my mum and or our mum and dad, should I say, <clears throat> uh, and it has helped her. I hope, I hope that Eric and his colleagues have had that kind of support. Um, it is important, um, and it is important to talk. Um, as I say, didn't didn't do anything for me. I, I was supposed to go for six weeks. I lasted fifteen minutes of the <laughs> of the first session. Um, maybe that's just not the way I'm built. I don't know. Um, all I would say is within about two months um, of me walking out of that counselling session, uh, I was under the doctor um, being prescribed um, citalopram for depression. So grief counselling, if you haven't, do. Um, uh, we are what we are. We are family. No one knows until until you see it up close. 
I've had um, numerous ups and downs over the years. I won't bore you with the details. Um, some years ago, um, I was at an NFDC convention in Killarney in Ireland. And I was, let's just say that somebody spotted the fact that I was a little bit quiet. Um, took me to one side, you're, you're okay? I said, yeah, I'm, I'm fine. It's a, it's a bit of a, an issue at home. What's the issue? And this was literally the day before I was due to go to Kalani. My eldest daughter um, was followed into a toilet by a guy um, who attempted to molest her, but hadn't hadn't allowed for the fact that my daughter was a dancer and was <laughs> she had legs like a, an athlete and basically kicked him out of the toilet and didn't lay a finger on her. But obviously, you know, it, it troubles you. The guy that I was telling that is, like our friend Mick, rough. Rough, tough, hard as nails. The sort of bloke that you'd want on your side if if a punch-up started. You've never, I've never been treated quite so warmly in my life. Yeah. Not, not, let me know who this bloke is, I'll go and sort him out although I did have a few offers like that. Um, no, this was sympathy and empathy and all that you could possibly expect because, as Mick has just said, we are family. Um, all of which, I guess, brings us full circle back to those families. I've been dreading this show for weeks. It's gone far more smoothly than I could possibly have hoped. Um, but can you imagine at the turn of the year you start a new year with a celebration personally I'm a big Jules Holland Hootenanny fan I watch the new year come in with my wife, my children sometimes if they're not out on the lash and with Jules Holland and some music and that Always starts the new year. It's New Year's resolutions and my wife saying, as she has for the last 30 plus years, this is going to be our year. One of these days she may be right. It's a new year. And then for the likes of um, Natalie and Sadie and all the other families, they know that at that point, they are a month and 23 days away from reliving the horror of what happened on the 23rd of February 2016. It's not a new year. It's not It's not their year. It's a repeat. And I don't suppose for one moment that any of those anniversaries have got any easier. Um, I know Steve Williamson said, said it earlier. Um, the loss, I'm bizarrely still haven't shed a tear about my parents. Don't know why that is. I'm built a bit weird, I guess. Um, I, I did mention my granddad, Fred. I, I saw him in hospital just before he died. I was at his funeral, didn't shed a tear. And about three months later, broke down like a, like a whipped pup. That's probably going to come at some point with my parents. But my best mate, Bruce, um, catches me unawares on a regular basis. 
when you hear somebody say something or you you know you find yourself in a situation that he would have thrived in and you just brought back to that and i'm sure the families of those four guys will be exactly the same and i think the hardest thing that i've had to deal with personally um, and i'm thinking specifically here about bruce we went to primary school together we went to high school together uh, college together we worked together for a while um, up until this house every house that i've ever owned Bruce lived in for a short time or other, for one, for one reason or another. Um, and I've got, or I had, um, let me think, just do the maths, 35 years? No, more than that. Probably 40 years of memories with Bruce. Things we did, scrapes we got into, people we knew. And the day he died, all of that went. Because so many of those memories were shared. They were things that only he and I would understand. Um, and I can tell those stories. I can tell them to my children. I've told them to his children as well. But unless you were there, unless you lived it, it's just a story. Um, and that, unfortunately, is the situation that the families of those four guys now have. They have stories about Ken and Mick and Chris and John. But that's all they have now. Um and to heap on top of that, this protracted and prolonged investigation is just unnecessarily cruel. Mick Saunders says, I think this hour alone has shown the depth of us all. To the families of the four, I can only say I grieve with you, but we are here for you. Mick, you have a way with words. I think that's where we, we call it a day. Um, I can't, there's, there's nothing more I can add um, to that. That's that's the perfect way of, of ending things, I think. So to the families of the four guys, you know, our thoughts are with you. Not that it counts for anything at all, but our thoughts are with you and they will remain with you way, way beyond the, the point that the Thames Valley Police and the Health and Safe, Safety Executive finally um, present us with some sort of closure on all of this. Um, if any of the families are still watching, you have some friends here, people. Um, if ever you want to reach out if ever you want to offload please do that now i've just said that um mick saunders is going to have the final word uh he's not and this is why gail cresswell <sighs> that hanky might come in, in a minute thank you for always remembering our men on such a sad day our ken was a much loved family man we are now entering year eight with no answers. We need answers. No one should go to work and just not come home. The demolition industry need answers to keep men safe. No other families should go through this. And with answers, it could, would save others. Thank you. Wrong man for this job. Thanks for that, Gail. Um, no thanks necessary. Our thanks should be with you for your um, patience and your dignity and the dignity of all the other families. Everybody, please go back to work. Um, I say this at the end of every daily show, um, but do me a favour, will you just, even if you ignore everything else I say, and, and frankly, a lot of the time, that's a very good idea. 
I say this every single day, but I'm going to say it one last time uh, here. Stay safe. Look after yourself, your family, your friends and your colleagues.